0: If you would, uh, this morning, turn to your Bibles to uh, James chapter 1, James chapter 1, and uh, we are going to look and continue our study in the book of James. Uh, it's awesome this morning. Thank you very much, uh, worship team, as we uh, worship the Lord. Some of my favorite worship songs are songs that are directed right toward the Lord and His goodness, and uh, so sets the tone for us this morning. James chapter 1. Have you ever been in a storm and the storm, it just gets out of control? It's just uh, scary. It's, um, you know, kind of freaks you out. Uh, Did you know that the American Meteorologist Society did a study on what's um, about storms and 40% of people fear tornadoes, and does anybody else know what the next biggest fear would be? Hurricane. Hurricane. Yeah. Tropical storms, tropical storms. But another things that people fear are wildfires, hurricanes, somebody said, flooding, that'd be terrible, and also droughts. And so there are storms that come in life like that. And some of the scariest times that I've ever had in my life have been in storms. Uh, one of the ones, I mean, it's not, it's not on this list, but one of the things that was one of the most scariest things that I've ever been in is fog and driving at the same time. And you can't see anything. You don't know if you're on the road, off the road. Uh, you don't know if there's cars in front of you. You don't know what's going on. One time we had landed in Atlanta, Georgia, and we had a two-hour drive back to Greenville, South Carolina, and it was scary because I didn't, I didn't know what was going on. But luckily, praise the Lord, uh, we made it back. And um, another time I was in a snowstorm, and that's kind of something that we can face here is just maybe being on the road and driving and and the ice and the snow and just not even knowing, you know. What uh, kind of conditions we're in or, you know, it's snowing so, so uh, fast and hard. All of a sudden, you just can't really see anything. But I don't know if you ever have been in the middle of an ocean in a storm. That would be scary. And facing storms like that. I read in Acts chapter 27 where Paul was facing that shipwreck and just listening to the storm and kind of imagining what happened there. Um, And just thinking about that, have you ever thought about being on the Titanic in the middle of that storm? That would be terrible. This morning, I want to talk to you about being in storms because in our lives, not only do we face storms like that, but we face storms of all kinds of situations. You know what? It's easy to remain calm when things are going smooth. When you're out on the sea and things are smooth and calm out there. But when things start to get a little tough, when the storms start to come, it gets challenging. And many of you right now are facing storms of various kinds in your lives. I know that. I've talked to you. And so this morning, I want to talk to you about how you can handle the life, the storms that come in your life in a biblical way. What do you do? When you're facing tough times, let's look at James chapter 1. This morning we want to look at verses 5 to 8, but I want to read verses 1 to 8 just to kind of set the context for what we're talking about. In James chapter 1, it says this, James, the servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes and the dispersion's greetings, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Let's pray together. Dear Father, let us thank you for your word. We ask, Father, that it would be an encouragement, a help this morning as we listen to what you have for us today. Thank you, Father, for the truths that are here Thank you, Father, for even the trials in our lives. Father, help us to learn and grow through these trials. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's James. James is a veteran shepherd of souls. And as I mentioned before, when it was calm, you know what to do. But when the trials come, and the variety of trials that can come to our lives, whether they're physical, spiritual, moral, or even emotional situations... Things can be tough. There's situations that we often struggle. You know, I don't know if you thought about trials in your life, but I was thinking about it a lot this week. Sometimes our trials, we create ourselves. You know what I'm talking about? Sometimes we just make stupid decisions, and then it's kind of like, oh, no, what did I just do? That was so stupid. But sometimes in life... Sometimes other people make stupid decisions. Have you ever been on the end of that? It's kind of like, why am I facing that? I didn't even make this decision. My boss did. Yeah, some of you can say amen to that. Sometimes we uh, face these problems because we live in a sin-cursed world. Some things... Trials, we don't know why that happened. We may never know. And at these times, it's easy for us, when we're facing these trials, to get off course. Just like a shipwreck. We could shipwreck our faith. Because of the trials, we could respond wrong. And here, these readers were facing the exact same thing. They were facing trials. And James was trying to encourage them. In verse 1, we see here that they were dispersed, mostly because of the persecution that they were facing. They had, the, they had suffered the loss of their homes, they uh, lost possessions, and so they were just trying to, to flee to, to find some freedom from these trials. When I preached on January 21st, we went through verses 1 to 4. And we saw that James was trying to encourage them and to us as modern readers to have a radical attitude when we encounter various trials. In verse 2, he tells us these trials to consider it all joy. You could kind of almost shake your head at that. But that's what he was telling these these readers. He was saying in verse 3 that when your faith is tested, it produces endurance. Endurance. And then we come to verse 4, and it says, let that endurance have its perfect result. And so then that brings us to verse 5, where he introduces this new idea that when you're facing these trials and situations and storms in your life, he mentions that you can endure these trials joyfully by having God's wisdom. So that's what we want to unpack today. We want to talk about this big idea today. Seek after God, the provider of wisdom. And so I want to ask you the question. Are you seeking after God? Is that your life goal? Is that your decision you make every day? I am going to seek after God. Today, I'm going to kind of unfold some things to be able to ask yourself these questions. So let's look, first of all, in this passage, and it explains to us our need. In verse 5, it tells us we need wisdom. The first part of verse 5, it says, if any of you lack wisdom, I'm going to first lay it out to us that we are a needy people, every one of us. Every one of us are a needy people. This uh, statement here, it says if. This, when you look it up biblically, it is called a first class conditional statement. Now, we use these kind of statements when we talk about future situations that we believe are real or possible. And that's what we have here. It's kind of basically saying not if you're going to have trials, but since. You're going to have trials. So as we look at the the future, we know that we are going to face storms. We're going to face troubles. There are going to be trials that come into our lives. So what do we do about that? First thing I want us to do this morning is kind of look at what the definition of wisdom is. We need to understand what wisdom is. The Greek word here is the Greek word sophia. Sophia carries the idea of prudence, discretion, the ability or the capacity to understand, and then to act wisely. So it kind of has an idea of an understanding, a knowledge, but then be able to take that knowledge that you have and to be able to put that into practice and make wise decisions. That's where sometimes we run into a problem because... We see the situation, and then we respond, instead of responding in a biblical way, we might respond in anger. Instead of responding in a biblical way, we respond with bitterness. Instead of responding in a biblical way, I mean, you could name your situation as to how you respond. Think about yourself. How do you respond? What trials come your way? You might be this ticking time bomb. That just goes off. Some of you, rather than dealing with the problem, you act like it's not there. See, all of us, a lot of times, respond to situations in a way that's good or bad. So, now keep in mind here that James 1 is talking about God's wisdom. See, there is such a thing from our culture that is worldly wisdom... And we're going to talk about that later in the message, in James chapter 3. It unfolds what is godly wisdom and what is worldly wisdom. And there is definitely, definitely a difference. When we study the Bible, it's always important to study the Bible in its context. And to also understand that how words are used in Scripture. In James chapter 1, wisdom refers to the wisdom that we endure trials with joy when we think about the context. And when we respond with joy, that we can be, as verse 4 says, perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Now, James realizes that in times of trials, often we do lack his wisdom on how to endure these trials with joy. And that's why he was reminding these readers to respond in a way that is glorifying to God. So, that's why he adds verse 5 to to 8 here. Of course, we can ask God for wisdom in any situation or any matter of life that we face. But in the context here, it is specifically focused on asking God for wisdom that we need to endure trials joyfully. We talked about this a little bit back in uh, January 21st, that enduring trials with joy is not our natural national, um, our natural inclination. When trials hit, we're prone to ask questions like this. Why is this happening to me? Um, We might say, do I have to face this again? God, I'm already exhausted. Why me? But oftentimes these are the wrong questions to ask. And so I want to lay out for us Here's some important questions for us to think about in the midst of trials. Number one, how can I understand this trial from God's perspective? Like, God, I don't know what's going on, but can you waste the opportunity that God has given us to mature. Warren Weersby said this, "Wisdom helps us to understand how to use these circumstances for our good and God's glory." Another commentator, his name is Kurt Richardson, he said, "Wisdom is required because the faithful do not always know how to persevere, nor do they easily find the will to rejoice in future blessings." While enduring present trials. This morning, I want to talk just briefly about this person. Does anybody know who this person is? Johnny Erickson Erickson Tata. How many of you know who Johnny Erickson Tata is? Okay, quite a few of you. Johnny Erickson Tata, I've seen her at conferences and things that I've been to. She was in a diving accident in 1967. She was 17 years old. And because of this diving accident, she became a quadriplegic, quadriplegic, and she was in a wheelchair for the rest of her life, even up until this day. She, uh, for two years, she was under uh, severe uh, rehabilitation, and uh, you know, her life, she could have just said, what a waste, you know, I was perfectly healthy, 16 years old, dove into this pool, and And uh, why me, God? You know know what she did? She decided she was going to use this situation for God's glory. And for 45 years, she's been ministering to people. She's now 74 years old. And if you were to go on her website and see how God has used her in the lives of others, she took the trial that she was in and under, And she made something of it. Some of us would have just went down in depression. So this morning, part of my goal is to show you that James shows and defines um, in chapter 3 what biblical wisdom is. And I want to, if you would, turn over to James chapter 3. I want to uh, read part of this, and you'll kind of see here, you'll kind of see the difference between what's biblical wisdom and what is earthly wisdom. Because our society thinks that they're wise. But God describes a different kind of wisdom, a biblical wisdom, in chapter 3, verse 13. Notice the differences here. In verse 13 it says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. So he's saying here, all right, you're wise, let's see your actions. And then he goes on in verse 14, he says, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. So he's saying in trials and situations where you should be exercising heavenly and spiritual wisdom, you're exercising this bitter jealousy. He keeps going in verse um, 15. He says, This is not the wisdom that comes from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, and even to the point where it's demonic. Like if you're responding in a way that is bitter and selfish, in your hearts, that is not biblical wisdom. Verse 16, it says, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is going to be disorder and every vile practice. But in verse 17, it says, The wisdom that is above is pure, and then it's peaceable. It's gentle. It's open to reason when people talk to you. It's full of mercy. It's full of good fruits. It's impartial. It's sincere. And it says that when you exercise this kind of wisdom, it says, And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. You want to know how to respond to a trial situation? Look at these verses. It it shows to us what biblical wisdom is. Let's look now at the solution. We see that we have a need that we lack wisdom. The solution is asking God for wisdom. We see that in the second part of verse 5 here. Back to James chapter 1. In verse 5 it says, If you lack wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. You lack wisdom. I know someone who has it. Have you ever been in a situation in your life where you lack and you knew someone that could help you? That's what we have here. Now, sometimes, and I'm going to talk about this a little bit later, sometimes when we lack, we don't want to ask. But it says here, let them ask God. It's not an automatic thing, it's to be sought. This is the process of leaning and trusting on God rather than yourselves. By nature, we're all sufficient know-it-alls. I can do it by myself. I don't need anybody else to help me. I got, I got this. In America, it's the spirit rugged individualism. It's the self-made man. And in most cultures, what kind of person is idolized? It's the person who has it all together. In Detroit, it's Detroit tough. Right? Yeah. But today I want to challenge us that our trials should grow our reliance of God, reliance on God, and our reliance on prayer. To come to God, we must humble ourselves, admit that we don't know it all, that we need him, and a main reason that God often sends trials in our lives is to humble us from our pride, to look to him. Recently in my devotions, I was reading a passage in Revelation chapter 3 about the Laodicean church. They all, if you know anything about that church, they were rich, and they didn't have many needs. But do you know how Jesus responded to them? In verse 17, this is what he said to them. He actually said, you guys are rich, you don't have any needs, but actually I view you as wretched and miserable, poor, blind, and naked. From the world standpoint, it looks like they had everything, but spiritually, they didn't. Any of you ever read uh, the devotional book, New Morning Mercies? Any of you? Nobody. I'd recommend that to you. Uh, One person, maybe two. If you've never read it, I would encourage you to pick it up, order it from Amazon. Uh, It's really good reading. I want to read something uh, here from Paul David Tripp as the author. He says this, he says, don't buy the false gospel of self-reliance. If you could make it without help, Jesus would not need it to come. It's a seductive lie. It's told again and again. There's nothing new in its message. It was told first in the Garden of Eden. and hasn't ceased to be told since, but it's told in many forms. And I want to show you here, uh, Paul David Tripp lays out, many different areas he says here's some of the lies that we often believe no one knows you better than you know yourself number two you really don't need the ministry of others in your lives you used to struggle with sin but you've conquered it all you don't anymore some people believe this i know someone who believes they're sinless I think we could probably spend an hour with them and kind of show that they're not. But uh, since you know the Bible so well, you're probably okay. Look at your track record; you've come a long way. Your little sins, ah, they're really not that sinful. Ah, they're just little. Just go ahead. You're way beyond the level when you need to be taught by others. You're so spiritually mature. You're on your own. You just have to get up and do what you've been called to do. This is all just kind of phrases that we might hear where where we might tend to just rely on ourselves. Like, I don't need anybody else. I've got this. And so Paul David Tripp lays out and he says, The voices of self-reliance are many and they're deceptive. In some way, they greet us every day. Their deceptive whispers started in the garden and continue with the. The sole devious purpose of convincing you to rely on yourself and not on God. The lie of self-sufficiency, it's attractive to all of us because we don't like to think of ourselves as weak and needy. We don't like to think of ourselves as dependent. We don't like to think of ourselves as fools who need to be rescued from ourselves. We like the story of the self-made man. You know, the person who pulled himself out of the mire and made it on his own with no one to think but himself. But James here is actually telling us the exact opposite. James is encouraging us to have a humble dependence on him. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 says, Casting all your cares on him because he cares for you. This passage, what is it telling us? It's telling us, ask for wisdom. James isn't giving advice. He isn't saying this is an option. He's saying this is a command. It's mandatory. When you're in the midst of storms, we need to rely on the God who is the creator of the universe. Why wouldn't we? Now, what's interesting about this verb here in verse 5 is that it's in the present tense. It indicates that you'll probably need to ask more than once. It isn't just going to be a one-time thing. It's something that you need to ask. And then when you're in the next situation, you ask again. And in your prayer life, you become dependent on God to ask him. This wisdom is not for sale. You can't go to the store and buy it. It's just a gift. You just ask. See, this causes our heart and our will to turn to God in prayer. Our prayer life should grow through trials and tests and storms in our lives. In Matthew chapter 7, it says this, Ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if he asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to ask good gifts to your children, how much will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So when you need... Wisdom to endure and get through a trial, and you want to respond in a way that's pleasing to God, you need to go to God. Ask Him. He gives generously. That's our next point. Like God is the provider. You need wisdom to handle this situation that you're in. Go to God, He's generous. I don't know if you've ever been around a parent that is generous to their kids. Some kids appreciate it and some kids don't. You've probably seen that. But it's really cool to see that parent function because one of the things that they're doing is they're taking responsibility for their child. They're seeing a need and they're meeting a need. And oftentimes they do it joyfully and willingly. That's totally God here but he does it perfectly. Us as human beings, in giving gifts, we kind of do an okay job. We might want someone to praise us for what we've done, but he's not into that. He's just into being generous because he wants to need our needs. God is the source for all wisdom. You need wisdom? Go to him. He's the one true source for wisdom. The next thing is that the passage tells us here in verse 5 is that he is generous. He gives sincerely and without hesitation, without mental reservation. He does not grumble or criticize. His commitment to his people is total and unreserved. You can expect to receive. Now, I just talked about a parent who was giving. Have you ever seen a parent that's selfish and stingy? I've seen that. They complain about what they've done for their kids or they talk about their kids in a negative way. They're very self centered and selfish. That's not God. So the question is where do we find wisdom? Well, we find wisdom that God reveals his wisdom by his spirit through the word. God's wisdom does not come as a sudden revelation or an impression that just hits you out of nowhere. You won't find it in a special article online or a magazine like Reader's Digest unless they accidentally say something that might coincide with what God's Word said. God's Word is the source of wisdom. God's Word reveals wisdom to us. If you're in a time of trial, I would really encourage you to even focus on reading the book of Proverbs. Read it saying, God, speak to me. I need wisdom. I just want to read a couple of passages of scripture that tell us about God's wisdom. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 9, and also chapter 2, verse 3, it says, In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, 16 and 17, it says, I do not cease to give thanks for you. Remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and the revelation and the knowledge of him. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says this, that God reveals his wisdom by the Holy Spirit to those who are spiritual. This wisdom has to do with knowing how to apply biblical truths to particular situations in life. Therefore... If you're not spending time consistently in reading God's word, you're not going to have the wisdom that you need when trials hit. See, we need to be under the influence of the truths of God's word. Proverbs chapter 1 says that the time to seek for wisdom from God is before even the trials hit. So that when they come, we can think about those biblical truths that we've been taught Or read, or meditate on, or even verses that we've memorized, so that when we come, those are the first things that we think about. In Proverbs chapter 3, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and don't lean to your own understanding, and all your ways acknowledge Him, and He'll direct your path. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be a health to your flesh and strength to your bones. When you respond in a way of biblical wisdom, it even helps even your health. It says here that it will be a health to your flesh and strength to your bone. Have you seen people that have responded to trials in a way that was not glorifying to God, and sometimes their health begins to struggle? It even helps that when you rely on God. God wants to give assistance to these trials, He wants our focus to be on him. He's not just going to leave us in trouble. A lot of times in troubles, we look everywhere except for to biblical wisdom. So this morning, I'm challenging all of us to look to this generous provider of wisdom. Look to God himself. Lastly, we see here the condition Now, he says that he's the provider, and he is. He has the resources, and he does. But in verse 6 to 8, he lays out one prerequisite to receiving this wisdom. What is it? In verse 6, he says to ask in faith. This passage tells us to believe and don't doubt. Another translation says, believe in no doubting. <clears throat> the NASB says, ask in faith without any doubting. So when verse 5 says that he's willing to give wisdom to all, we need to define that all by the context. And that is that God does, does not give wisdom to everyone in the world But rather, he gives wisdom to every believer in Christ who asks in faith. So what is faith? Faith is trusting in God that he'll provide it. We don't doubt him. We wouldn't say, well, can God do this? Is he big enough? Can I count on him to come through? Yes, you can count on him. Yes, you can believe In Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 it says without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. It'd be silly to ask God of something and you weren't even sure he really existed. John MacArthur states that strong sound faith is not based on feelings but on knowledge. An understanding of the promises of God's truth, which is spiritual wisdom. It's interesting in this passage because it gives us two examples. And we're almost done here, but in verse 6, it gives us an example of waves in the sea. Verse 6 says this, But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. I don't know if you've ever, uh, you know, been to the ocean and kind of watched uh, the waves and how they just kind of go all over the place. But, I don't know, when my son, uh, my oldest son, who's now 27, he lives in Columbus, Ohio, but when he was uh, three years old, he had retinoblastoma. And what that means is that he had cancer, In his retina. And so we went to U of M and uh, had his eye removed. And so he had a prosthetic eye. Well, one day, we were at Lake Michigan. And all of a sudden, he says, Mom, Dad, my eye fell out in the ocean. And we looked at him. Sure enough, you know, behind his eye, it's kind of like this red um, socket that they put in there. So it sets down where it's supposed to be, and sure enough, his eye is out in the ocean. So we're like, we're never going to find it, right? Because the waves, they just kind of take it and go wherever. Well, long story short, we actually found it. And the only reason we found it is because the guy who was with us, who had invited us to come over to the ocean, um, actually, this was Lake Michigan, so the lake, um, there at Lake Michigan, um, he he knew kind of how the water moved, and so he he kind of th- thought, well, you know, that was you know ten fifteen minutes ago, so if I kind of go stand over here, I'll find it. And sure enough, there was the eyeball looking at him, <laughs> and he reached down, and we were like, no way, this is a miracle. Because if you were to lose something out in the ocean or in even Lake Michigan, the water just kind of goes wherever it wants. Have you guys ever taken a helium balloon and released it in the air? And you wanted it to go this way, but all of a sudden it goes that way? When I was a kid, I remember, um, I don't know if this is politically correct now, but when I was a kid, I remember our church, all of our kids from Sunday school going out and releasing balloons like a whole bunch of them all at the same time, like a hundred of them, and they had like gospel messages in them or something. I don't know why we did that, but, you know, we kind of watched the balloons and they kind of just, wherever the wind went, that's what it took. Well, it's using this analogy here, and I call this doubter analogy number one. Is that like you? Are you just like, I believe God. I trust myself. I believe God. Today I'm on this high cloud, and I'm truly trusting God, but tomorrow I don't. So it gives this example here in verse verse 6, and in verse 7 it says, For that person must not suppose that he'll receive anything from the Lord. So you want wisdom, you ask for wisdom, but you don't ask in faith? You're just like this doubter. Example number one. We see example number two. In verse 8, a double-minded man. In verse 8, it says this. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Doubter number two, this is a person that turns to his own human reasoning rather than singularly trusting in the creator of the universe. Doubt can come in, wreck our faith. We don't trust God. We trust ourselves. The Greek word here, when this is translated, a double-souled man. If we live like this, double-minded, this, the passage says that you're unstable. That you're going to be up and down. You're on the mountain. You're down in the valley. You're up, you're down. You're up, you're down. It's like riding like a uh, carousel, horse, horse. This man can be described as a person whose heart is divided between allegiance to God and then the next minute it's the allurements of the world. In other words, he's not sure if he wants to really know God's wisdom because he isn't fully committed to submitting to it. He might hear something that he dislikes, and so instead of following what God's plan is, he says, I like option B over here, and just kind of follows his own plan rather than following God's. It's double-minded. In other words, this kind of person is shopping for answers that fit what he wants to do. If God's wisdom sounds good, he follows it. But if the worldly wisdom sounds better, I think I'll follow that today. And James is saying this kind of person is not going to receive anything from the Lord. So today, when you go to God and you want to respond in a way, in a trial... Joyfully, and you want to respond in a way that glorifies God, you ask in faith. Like, God, I trust you. You have what's best for me. I will follow you, I will do what you want me to do. I'm going to have the music team come up. This, mo- this morning, we're going to uh, close with the song, How Great Is Our God? As we think about these trials, we think about these situations in our lives, think about how great God is. Think about the fact that he can provide, that he has the resources to provide for us. What's our need? Our need is that we need wisdom. The solution, we ask. The provider, God, is generous. The condition, ask in faith. Let's pray. Dear Father, help us to think about these things. Help us to grow through these things. Father, help us in the midst of trials. We want to please and glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen.